scripture I'm going to read uh, this morning is from Luke chapter 7, reading from the verse 36. A sinful woman forgiven. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she, leaned, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, bought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of, of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with, his, with the anointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who he is touching, who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more. Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then Simon turning toward the woman, then, sorry, then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wept. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not, not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is just a wonderful story. A wonderful picture. And there's a, a two or three characters. There's two, two main characters. And then there's Jesus, who's central to the whole thing. First of all, we have the Pharisee. And in this story, his name is Simon. 
And uh, because he was a Pharisee and Simon was a common name, there's another instance in the Scriptures where Simon was a leper and a similar kind of thing happened. So this is not the same story, just in a different way. This is a completely different picture. And Simon was a Pharisee, which meant outwardly he was good. So he was a good-looking guy with a hairy chest and a well-built physique. I've always been praying for a chest. I've got the hair, but not the chest. Thank you. You're very kind. You're very kind. So Simon was this Pharisee, and he was a religious man. He was good. He was upright. He attempted to keep the law. He tithed his income. He fasted regularly. He never missed synagogue. He was always there. He was a decent, respectable, upstanding citizen of the community. But in this situation, he had invited Jesus to come and have supper with him. And one can wonder, well, why did he invite Jesus to come and have supper with him? Was it because uh, this young rabbi, this young rabbi, Jesus, who was a... Uh, just the, the flavor of the month. He was the, he was a great preacher and teacher and signs and wonders followed him. Was that the reason? What, was he wanting to get to know Jesus? Or was he, uh, just wanting to debate theological issues? Was he wanting to discuss the scriptures and, and look at the law and interpret it with this, with this rabbi? There was no sense in, in this story that he had any sense of personal need of Jesus. And maybe we can get that a little bit from the fact that maybe if the, the high priest had come to supper with Simon, do you think he would have neglected to wash his feet? Do you think he would neglect to kiss him? Do you think he would neglect to anoint him? I don't think so. So there was this little bit of an indifference. It's been wonderful this week because I've been, I've been chewing on this the whole week, reading all the commentaries and having great fun in the scripture. The scriptures are, are amazing. But the scriptures are for you and I. They to transform and change you and I. We don't look at the scriptures for all the, the lovely little bits that we can get out of it. We look at scriptures, we look at Jesus, we look at the word of the Lord. Why do we look at the word of the Lord? So that we might know the Lord of the word. That's why we look at the scriptures, that our lives would be changed and, and we would be conformed into his image. And so today this word is for you. I love it where Jesus says to... Um, Simon, he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Andrew, the Lord has something to say to you. Dawn, the Lord has something to say to you. As we open this word, he has something to say to us. Let's not just look and think, oh, well, that's a lovely story. Let's see how it applies to our lives. Am I a Pharisee? Or am I the, 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 the woman who uh, was a prostitute, possibly? She was a, 
a sinner, a woman of the city, it says. And so let's look at one of the other characters. The other character is the prostitute, is the woman. She's not named in the scriptures. She's just a woman of the city. She's a sinner. And it's quite clear and quite obvious that that is who she is. That she's a woman of the night. And the Simon, the Pharisee, didn't even really take notice of her need. In fact, when she walked into his home, he would have been a bit bleak. You, you might ask today, how can this woman of the street just walk into this home, into this house? But the Middle Eastern tradition is very different to our tradition. When I invite somebody for supper, when I invite Jonathan and Jane for supper, I don't expect Bob and Evelyn to come as well. But maybe they overheard me inviting Jonathan and Jane. Then they could sneak in. But we like, we Westerners, we very specific. We, we've got certain amount of food and we've planned and these are the people that we are inviting and it's only them. That was completely different in the Middle Eastern tradition. When Jesus came for lunch at this house, the door was open and people could come in. And this woman obviously heard that, uh, Jesus was, uh, Having dinner. And so she decided she was going to go and be with Jesus. There's something which is kind of, I mean, the theologians, they really wrestle with this, this issue was, uh, uh, it says in, um, in verse 47, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. And in just a little reading of that, it might seem that her sins were forgiven because she loved much. But if we have a look at Scripture, that throughout Scripture, we love much because we are forgiven. And that's the point of the parable about the story of the two people being forgiven. One who had lots of sins. And one who had a few sins. When, the, when you are forgiven, when you are forgiven and you know that you are forgiven, then uh, you love much the more you've been forgiven. So sometimes I look at my own life and the question as I've been working through this thing is, who am I? I am I the Pharisee? Think of the Apostle Paul. He was, he went to the right schools. He had the right credentials. He went to the right theological place. You know, he went, he, he, he went to Kersney. Where did he go to? He went, went to Michael House. He went to the right schools. He went, he got the, his degree from uh, Cape Town University. That's where you got to get your degree. He had everything, uh, perfect except 
He was the Pharisee who lost the way and he was angry and he was judgmental and he was critical and he was, and he saw the church. And what did he do? He persecuted the church. He stood there and watched while people were being killed. He probably let, wrote letters to, to, for, uh, Zuko. I see Zuko is a, is a lovely, uh, given his life to the ways, given his wife life to follow Jesus. I'm going to sign a letter. Zuko must die. Ish. The scriptures are, pers- are, 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 are personal. And this is the, uh, this is the apostle Paul who said he is the greatest of all sinners. And so we have this, 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 this young woman, this, this, this woman who is a, who's a prostitute. And, uh, why did she come to Jesus? Why? So some, some people say that, well, he might, she might have heard him preach before. She might have heard him share. She might have heard the stories that he loved the sinners. What did Jesus say? I have, co- I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. He's come to call the sinners to repentance. She had heard the Pharisees teaching all her life. She had heard them. And yet, somehow, she felt condemned. She felt condemned by the law, by their, by their accusations. They didn't give her a way out. They didn't give her hope. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus is the only one that gives us hope. We sing it. He gives us hope. He gives us grace to, to push on, to hold on. We need to be holding on to Jesus. And so this, this woman pushes into Jesus. She doesn't worry about what's happening around her. She's not concerned about what people think about her. As you came to church today, did you come worrying about what somebody might think of you when you got up to share? No, you didn't. You did it because you loved the Lord and, 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 you, and you burst into tears and, and the tears ran down your face. It's just like this woman. Why did you do that? Because, of your, because you were so grateful for God's healing. And because of that, you love Him much. In fact, not even because of that. It's because of who He is. But the Lord is always there and He's doing stuff in your heart and my heart. And He loves us much. Let us know that. The problem with, with me is that uh, I think I'm quite righteous. I think I'm quite good. I mean, if I, I did go to the right schools, I, I lived in a very nice part of the world. I, I uh, might not have gone to Cape Town University, but I, 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 have done, I haven't murdered or raped or, or, or done any of, the, any of those kind of things. I'm 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 uh, I'm I'm a a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a good guy. But what does the scripture say about me? The scripture says all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. All. What does that mean? All. That means all all of us. All of us need salvation us. All of us need the grace of God. All of us. 
And I need it just as much as you. So as I look at this, if I put myself in this story, I'm probably with Simon. Probably looking at life through Simon's eye, judgmental and critical. The woman came because Jesus offered hope even to a sinner like her. And so she was determined to push in. She had heard the stories. She had, she had experienced his forgiveness. And she gets there. What do you do when you get into the presence of Jesus? What do you get to when you get into close proximity with the Savior of the world? What do you do? You bow down at his feet. You fall down at his feet. And I don't know what, whether she had planned to say anything, but she, she couldn't say anything. There's not one word that she utters in this whole narrative. But she weeps and she cries. And she clings. She clings to Jesus. She's aware of her sinfulness. She's aware of his great love. That he, he just emanates love. When a sinner comes to you, how do they feel once they've left? Do they feel judged? Do they feel condemned? Are we like the Pharisee? What does he say? Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him. For she is a sinner. That He was, a, he was judging. He was critical. He didn't see her as a person needing salvation. He didn't see her as a, peace, as a person who needed love. He saw her as a sinner. He saw her uh, undeserving. I'm a righteous man. I pay my tithes. I'd go to, the, go to the synagogue. So he was judgmental. I was sharing with Anne Kliegel in the weekend. She's been reading a book, I think it's R.T. Kendall, about the, the Word and the Spirit. And she said one of the, he's written in that book, there are 26, 26 reasons why you're a Pharisee. 26 reasons. And the number one reason is judgmentalism, criticalism. There's no such word, but criticalism is a nice word. That's the, that's the number of one reason, and we see it coming out in the Pharisee here. Judgmental. Are you judgmental? As you come to the house of worship, so what does worship look like? What does worship look like from watching this, this woman? Worship is first and foremost, it's for sinners who know, know their needs of forgiveness. They know they need to be forgiven. Secondly, it takes place. Where does worship take place? It takes place at the feet of Jesus. Worship is for, for Him and Him alone. We cling to Him. When we sing these songs, it's, it, it, it's because we love Him. It's because we want to wrap our feet around Him. 
When we come to worship, what's it about? It's about giving something to Jesus. It's not about getting. It's not about... Well, as I drive home and I think about the service and I think about the preacher of the day and I think about the worship and the worship songs and I think, uh, well, that song went on for too long and the preacher lost his way completely. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that person talked for too long, etc., etc. That's not your attitude because it's not about us. Worship is not about us. The privilege of coming and worshiping like we do Sunday after Sunday and you go to small groups and, 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 and all that, it's, 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 it's a privilege of just living out of who we are in Jesus. And as we come together, as you and I come together, having filled ourselves with Jesus, having, having loved Him in the week, and we come together and there's, a, there's just an overflow of joy and a manifestation of His presence, and we have testimonies and stories of God's grace and God's goodness in our lives. That's what it should be. So let's remember that, that life ultimately is not about me. It's not about us. You have been bought with a price. We've, we've celebrated the, his death, burial, and resurrection. The price of Jesus' blood. You and I have been bought. So we're not our own. So when we come to worship, it's about giving something to Jesus. Give something to Jesus. Give him your heart again in worship and adoration. It can involve your emotions. If we have a look at this woman, she was emotional. She was overwhelmed by Jesus' love and she just wept and cried. Worship can be without words. Can be without words. Don't always have to make a noise. You sometimes can, in, particularly at home in your, in your quiet place, you can, you can just sit and just, just allow the presence of God just to wash over you, just to and not have, you don't have to say every, anything. And finally, this woman shows that uh, worship shouldn't be easily hindered. We need to push into it. There are many reasons as you woke up this morning, and you thought, oh, it's going to be hot today. It's going to be sticky and steamy. Well, I might rather go to the beach. I, what about the swimming pools looking good? And the cricket starts at, uh, at 9.30. And I'd rather be watching that. Let's not get hindered by distractions. Let's, let's be committed. As for me and my household, we have decided to follow the Lord. We went and prayed at a, at a home yesterday. And it was such a beautiful thing. And there's been a, it's been a mess. And, and as, as, as we prayed, we asked the husband to, to, to declare that over his family. As for me and my household, I will serve the Lord. And he made that decision. He put a marker in the sand. And I'm praying, Lord, for that family, that that family would come into the fullness of Jesus. And there will be such a great testimony of God's deliverance and joy and peace in that family. But it needs a miracle. And it's not only that family that needs the miracle, it's my family, it's your family, that we need that miracle, that when we come here, we come with joy. So there's another character. I'm starting to run out of time. There's another character, the prophet, and he's, and, and he's Jesus. 
And one of the reasons this, this chapter is in here, these verses are in here, is because it's to get us to reflect on the question, who is this man Jesus? Who is he? So Simon was, was trying to determine, is this man a prophet? His first inclination is, he's not a prophet. How could he let this sinful woman touch, her, touch him? How could he do that? How could he do that? But Jesus showed that he was the prophet. Because he knew what Simon was thinking. And then he says these wonderful words. He's going to nail Simon. Don't you love it when people get nailed? Isn't there a little bit of Pharisee in each of us? We love it when people are they're going to get nailed. They're going to get what's coming to them. <laughs> and so Jesus read his thoughts. So he was a prophet. And then right at the end of the chapter, then those who were at the table with him began to say something among themselves. Who is this who even forgives sins? Who is this that even forgives sins? And only God can forgive sins. So Jesus in the story was saying, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am the Son of Man. I'm, the, I'm, I'm fully God. I'm fully man. That's, who, that's what he's saying. He says, I can forgive who I, who, who I, cho- who I choose to, to forgive. Because I forgive, I am God. And so, the story is beautiful. And he tells a story. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50. When they, when they could not pay, when they could not pay, they couldn't afford to pay their debts. They couldn't afford it. He canceled them, the debt of both of them. He canceled their debt. That's how God is a debt canceller. He comes along and says, you've got this debt. Your overdraft is, is uh, 16 gazillion. And what I'm going to say, I'm going to say it is forgiven. It is uh, taken away. You might, your debt might only be 10,000 rand. And he says, I can take that de- your debt away. He pays the debt of our sin. He takes it on the cross. And so the question I want us to, I mean, there's lots of stuff here today, so, so it's a wonderful scripture. But the, what I want to leave with is, how do I increase my love for Jesus? How do I increase it? Because I want my love for Jesus to be just so over the top that I'm not concerned about what other people think, that I'm uh, free to love him, that, I'm, that, 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 that I, I, I just know that I'm forgiven and all those, all those wonderful things. What must I do? What must you do? What must you do today as you start 2018? And, and you might think, oh, it's a long year ahead. Lots of stuff. Some people, a lot of stuff's already happened in the first couple of weeks. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the, the world, says the Lord. I am with you until the end of the age. And I'm going to increase your love for me. So I'm declaring that over us, that, that as a, as a community, our love would increase hundredfold, lots of fold, many fold. Our love would increase. Because there's only two commandments Jesus gave us. 
He gave us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And when we're full of Jesus, when we're full of his love, that natural thing that overflows is, his, is, is, is love. And he gives us that love. So know today that God has given you his love. To love Jesus with everything you've got, you must realize your debt. You couldn't pay the debt. To love Jesus, you must realize the size of your debt. Both debtors were unable to pay. In his autobiography, Charles Haddon Spurgeon spent a chapter telling of the five years of soul agony he went through before he got saved at, at the age of 15. Although he was outwardly a Bible-reading, church-going son of a pastor in Victorian England, the Holy Spirit took him deeper and deeper in seeing his own pride, self-righteousness, and self-sufficiency, and unbelief. This is a, it's from 11 to 15. This is... He observed that much of the flimsy piety in his day was due to the fact that people professed profess salvation without any deep, deep conviction of sin. He states, Too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of the Savior. He, he who has stood before his God, convicted and, conde and condemned with a rope around his neck. So just imagine that. Zuko, sorry to pick on you again, but you're here and there's a rope, a rope around your neck and you are condemned. We're about to kick the chair from underneath you and you are about to die because of your sins. Aish, that's a, that's a thing. And suddenly at the last second, suddenly you are freed to go. Your, your sins are covered and you are no longer, uh, under the threat of death. You are forgiven. When that happens, you will be a man who weeps for joy when he is pardoned. You would hate the evil to which you have been forgiven from. And you would live to honor and please the Lord. So, beloved, that's your position and that is my position. We are forgiven. We are forgiven by the precious blood of Jesus. May we, may we understand. May we never judge people and be critical of people. What has somebody said? Uh, don't judge other people because they sin differently from you. That's quite a, quite a statement because we, uh, we, I'm speaking for myself. You can, you can have a look and you can say, oh. At least I'm not like them. They, they, they're real sinners. Because they do this and they do that. I don't do that. But I do some other. Yeah, yeah. So in closing, I'm going to land now. I'm going to land. It's God's grace that pays the debt of our sin. That's all we can do. All you and I can do this morning and in the week ahead is every day as we wake up and just say, thank you, Jesus, for your grace. 
Thank you for your mercy, which are new every day. Thank you for your grace, which is enabling me to live the life of holiness, to live a righteous life. He enables me to live by his grace. And I want to love you more. I want to love you much. I don't want to be the Pharisee. I want to be the woman who's blown away by the love of Jesus. So I don't know if we've got a song to, to, just to close with. But let's, let's stand and let's pray. At the end of this chapter, it says, Your sins have been forgiven, though they are much. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in the peace of the finished work of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news. We weep before you, Lord. We cling to you. We have nowhere else to turn. There's nowhere to go. If anybody here does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. I want you to come forward and give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Come to Him. Cling to Him. He's the only one. He's the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so we, we declare over... Sarepta today, we declare the love of God, the love of God which passes all understanding, the love of God, the love of God, the love of God. Experience the love, His love today. Know that you are forgiven. And because you are forgiven, love Him much. Love Him with everything. Let's sing. Amen.